if your family is having battles around you have to try everything on your plate, then I'm telling you that it's not working for your family and you need to find a new method to make it work. So my philosophy is really the less pressure a child feels, the more they learn to like a variety of foods over time. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Jennifer Anderson of Kids Eat in Color. If you've yet to discover the social media movement that is Kids Eat in Color, especially on Instagram, you've been missing out. And I'm so excited to introduce you to Jennifer today. I've learned so much about letting go of mealtime battles and getting my kids to eat better from following Jennifer. She's a registered dietitian, mom of two boys, just like me, and public health advocate who guides hundreds of thousands of parents through feeding their kiddos. Today, she's here to share how we can feed our kids well on any budget and reduce that mealtime stress. As always, stick around to the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Jennifer, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 108 to grab our free meal planning templates and check out the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited because Kids Eat in Color is one of my favorite Instagram accounts to follow. And I've gotten so many great tips from you on how to feed our boys in a healthy manner. So tell me, how did you come to build this platform? Yeah, so I was standing in my kitchen making lunch for my three-year-old who tended to not eat enough and was always falling off the growth chart. And I thought, you know, I can't be the only parent struggling with this. I can't be the only one. It turns out I was not the only one. I started it about four months later, and now a couple of years later, look where we are. <laughs> I know. It's become such a huge movement, really, of people paying attention to how we talk to our kids about food. And I think for so many of us, we didn't have great language around food and weight and diet growing up. And so what is like the number one struggle that you hear from parents? I think the biggest struggle is getting their kids to eat or try a new food. It's that moment where you're like, if you would just eat it, my life would be so much easier. <laughs> I think that's the struggle. You're sitting down at the meal, your kid's not eating. And it's so frustrating. It's so, so frustrating. And so what do we do, right? We make the meal, we put it in front of our kids, and they just won't eat. What are some of the things that we're doing wrong in that interaction? Yeah, great question. So there's a couple things where parents have the best intentions, and they have the right goal, but they have the wrong tool. And one of those is pressuring kids. So when you're telling your child, take a bite, take a bite, you have to eat three bites before you get down, you have to finish your food before you get dessert. Every time we put that pressure on the child, the child is going to push back, the child is going to eat just to make you happy, they're going to like the foods that you want them to eat even less. So you really make more work for yourself down the road the more you push your child. Now, does it kind of work in the short run? It might, depending on your kid. I have two kids who it wouldn't even work with. They are very strong, <laughs> wonderful, creative kids who would never put something in their mouth just to make me happy. But when we're pushing kids, they stop building those long-term skills for eating and learning to like foods on their own. So pressuring. And what about what we're putting on the plate? 
Is there a certain amount? Like, how do we think about this? This is a great question too. And this really ties into budget as well. Often in our minds, we have this idea about what we think our kids should eat. But let's say they're a toddler. As we know, toddlers are their own people. One day, they're going to eat as much as you. The next day, they maybe will eat two bites the whole day. (laughs) This is actually totally normal toddler behavior. And then we feel really stressed, especially if we're on a tight budget. So we feel like, oh my gosh, we're wasting that food. There's money going in the garbage can. Also, my kid's not eating enough. Are they going to be okay? And so we get really worked up. And what do we do with that? We pressure the kids, which works against our long-term interests. So instead, if we understand two things, as long as our kid is following a general growth trajectory on the growth chart, whatever that is, whether that's small or large, as long as it's more or less the same over time, my kid is getting what they need. And that amount that they need is really going to fluctuate day to day. So today it's going to be a lot of food. Tomorrow it's going to be hardly any food or it's going to be a lot of food for a long time and then hardly any food for a long time. These are all normal things with toddlers. As long as your pediatrician isn't bringing up concerns, then they're generally getting what they need. So instead of focusing on these large amounts, I really suggest people serve micro portions to reduce that stress of food waste, especially. Let's bring that portion size down and teach them to ask for more if they're still hungry. Okay. And so it's okay if they're asking for seconds or thirds, as long as that plate isn't overwhelming for them when we, we put it in front of them. Right. Yeah. Also, small portions, I mean, they have a lot of things going for them. One, it helps kids get in touch with their hunger. Am I hungry? Do I want more? It also builds those social skills of them and the parent. They learn to ask for more or sign for more if they're really young. There's a lot of things. And it also helps you become more responsive to their feeding. Is my child really hungry? Are they asking for more? Do they look hungry? If they're pre-verbal, are they reaching for more food? Are they putting their face forward and kind of asking for more food in that way? These are all really important skills for kids to learn when they're young so that they can eat the right amount for their body as they get older. And asking for food two or three more times, that's fine. You're making sure that they're not getting tons of food on their tray because what happens is they might ask for more and take one lick of it and then realize they're full. This is really a learning process for kids. They're not born knowing the exact amount and how much food would fill me up. Those are skills that kids get over time. So as they get those skills, we still want to reduce that food waste. And so the really tiny portions, then you're like, okay, they left a bite of food on their plate, but it's one bite. I can manage that. Something that's come up in our community has always been the food budget, right? This is a place where most people struggle when it comes to money. Yeah. And now we've seen this growth of like nutritious food products for kids and organic and really pushing, making sure you get your kids the best food. But some people, they worry because they don't feel like they can afford all these things, these fancy organic pouches or whatever it is. And so how can we get the most nutrition for our dollar and make sure that our kids are getting the nutrients that they need? This is a huge pet peeve of mine, and I will try not to get too crazy here because I am very passionate about how ridiculous food marketing has become around these fancy foods. Let's just call them fancy foods because just because something is organic or, quote, clean or, quote, 
natural or you put the quotes around everything because you can use these words. I mean, organic is regulated, but all the other words, all these baby food products, I just did a post on Instagram comparing a sweet potato, which was 99 cents a pound. And it was actually, I had had to go to like a fancy store to get the sweet potato based on where it was. And then comparing it to like a really high end pouch, which you calculate out was 12 something per pound for pureed sweet potato, one of which you could stick in the microwave for a couple seconds and get a puree. And then the other one, which was convenient, but it was $12.49 a pound, right? That's over 12 times more expensive for something that's actually not better than a sweet potato you could get in the grocery store. When I went to school in Baltimore to study public health, I met with a senior research assistant there and she said, we have a new problem. And that is, we see families who are saying, I am afraid to buy fruits and vegetables for my kids because I cannot afford organic. That is horrible. And it's not on the families. I don't blame the families at all. I blame all the rich people out there saying, oh, organic is best. Organic is better. Organic is the only non-dangerous way to feed your kids. That is all not true. It is not true that you cannot feed your family well with no organic foods whatsoever. It is okay to eat conventionally grown foods. And it is what, I don't know, 95% of the world feeds their people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who can afford organic foods? They're twice as much. Now, if you want to buy organic foods, that's fine. That I, you know, I don't have a, I think the organic discussion is very nuanced and has a lot of different perspectives. So no judgment to people who want to buy it, but I absolutely put judgment on every person who says organic is the best way to feed a family and organic is the only way you can feed a family healthfully, those messages are so damaging. They hurt so many families. I think as a registered dietitian and public health professional, I want to tell every person listening today that you do not, absolutely do not have to feed your family organic foods in order to feed them well and for them to be healthy and for you to feel really, really, really good and confident about what you're feeding your family. That's a great message. There's so much shaming about food and how we feed our kids from birth, really, when we talk about breast is best, the campaign of that. And obviously, breast milk is an amazing thing. But for either of my boys, we're able to breastfeed. And there was so much shame and mental anguish on me and on my husband when that just didn't work for our family. And so in a way that hurt us and hurt the kids for a period of time, right, that we were struggling. And so when we do go into the grocery store, we're looking at conventional things. How do we shop in a way that gets us that nutrition in the best way possible? Yeah. So here's the thing. I always recommend buying the cheaper option of the produce. So buy the conventional because the most important thing to your health first is enough calories. So we want to really focus. If your budget is super, super, super tight, we really want to focus on you doing whatever you need to do to make that food last the whole month. So if that means you're going to join WIC, if that means you're going to go to a local food pantry to help stretch, if that means you're primarily eating carbohydrates, whatever it is, the first goal is having food that lasts the entire month. Then we want to make sure you're also getting enough protein. 
And that's where mm-hmm. things like milk come in because often you can get milk at a pretty decent price and it's very high in protein. Like one cup of milk has eight grams of protein, which for small kids, that's about half of their protein needs for the day. Now, you don't have to do milk. If your family doesn't do milk, that's fine too. Beans are another great source. And our affordable foods meal plan also has a ton of great protein-rich options that are not very expensive. The thing that we want to stay away from is this fear of the diet culture around us. There's a lot of messages out there that are saying carbs are bad. Rice is bad. Rice will make you fat. Meat is bad. <laughs> like You name it, it's bad. I have people who have sent mm-hmm. over the years, you know, I've been on Instagram for what, three or four years. And I would say I've gotten a DM for every single food that's out there saying, I heard this is bad. What should I eat instead? So if I put it all together, I could be confident to say every food is bad and also no foods are bad. So I think we have to remind ourselves that calories come first when we're feeding kids and feeding our families. You should never feel bad if your primary goal right now is to get your family enough food to last the month. There is no shame in that. There's no worries in that. That is my top priority for every person. How do we help you do that? The next one is how do we make sure you're getting enough protein for your kid? And there's some easy sources for that, but kids don't need a lot less than you think. As long as you're serving protein-rich foods throughout the week, you're generally going to be fine. And then as long as we're solid with that, then we start to add in the fruits and the vegetables. How do we get a wide variety of fruits and vegetables and proteins that really work our long-term health and also expose the kids to fruits and vegetables as they're growing up? And that's where we start to say, okay, are there fruits and vegetables on sale? There's also some myths out there. Canned vegetables don't have any nutrients. That is a myth. Frozen vegetables are not as good as fresh. That is a myth. Often they are as good or may even have more nutrients than fresh because they are packaged so close to picking. Mm -hmm. So all the different kinds count. And the more that we've set aside these wider diet culture ideas and come back to the idea that all foods have a purpose and all forms of food have a purpose and can nourish us, we begin to have a lot more options and we feel less restricted in what we're feeding our families. How do cookies, animal crackers, goldfish fit into that narrative, right? That all foods serve a purpose. Yeah. So if you're a parent, you know the magic of those first Cheerios on the tray of a baby, which takes them 10 minutes to eat. And you're like, oh my gosh, I cleaned the whole kitchen in the 10 minutes it took the baby <laughs> to eat the, <laughs> the 10 Cheerios. I like to refer to them as fun foods. They add fun. They add some crunch to life. We often use them for convenience. At the same time, they're often expensive. They're those processed foods that come in a box and a package and they're $2 for a box, right? Obviously, it depends on where you buy them and which ones you choose. But often those processed foods are more expensive. So trying to include those as you need for your own convenience, but also really focusing on bringing in other foods into your child's diet that are easier on your budget. Maybe you have to be a little more intentional about making those foods or finding ways around it. So like when my sons were toddlers, 
one of my favorite things to just stick in one of those little cups that have those uh, tops where you they stick their hand in, they can barely get it out. They can't spill. <laughs> is some cooked frozen peas, which they're cooked, so they're nice and soft, not a choking hazard, and then maybe some shredded apple. The apples, you can find those on sale. They're really shelf-stable. You can store them in the fridge or whatever. And the peas, obviously super cheap. You could also use canned peas in that scenario. But they are they work on that pincher grasp. They take heads a lot of time to eat. They're full of nutrients. you got the protein and the peas. You're also giving them exposures. It is harder than Cheerios. Definitely harder. But <laughs> it is not that hard to make. That is less than five minutes of preparation time for you. And your kid is getting a lot more nutrition, and it can also be a really cost-effective option. So there's also been in this whole food marketing, health marketing for kids push, more and more kids, vitamins, kids, probiotics, kids, like all those kind Mm. of things. Where do those fit in making sure our kids are getting the nutrients that they need? Are those necessary for most kids? For most kids, no. As long as your child is eating some foods that have like vitamin C in them. So vitamin C is very hard to get if your child doesn't eat any fruits or vegetables. Okay. Some kids get to that point where they're not eating any fruits or vegetables. If that is the case, then I would recommend a vitamin. But if your kid is eating fruits and vegetables, they do eat apples. They do eat the occasional bell pepper, they are eating some of those foods daily, then you don't actually usually need a vitamin for them. As long as you feel like they're eating some foods from every food group, they're generally, now, you know, some days are they going to not eat the apple, of course, but other days they probably will. And as long as you look over the course of the week and you think, yeah, they ate stuff from all the food groups and they, they eat a variety, then generally a vitamin is not necessary. Vitamins are really expensive. So unless your child has a problem Let's say your child has iron deficiency anemia. Great time for supplements. In fact, you can probably get them from the pediatrician, probably prescribed, right? There are times if your child has a problem like that, if your child is so picky, they're only eating five foods, these are the times that you would say, yeah, you know what, it sounds like a vitamin or mineral supplement might be useful. But if your child is eating a variety of foods, and they are eating fruits and vegetables semi-regularly, then generally that is an added expense that is going to take away from your food budget, which is where we really want kids getting the nutrients, ideally. Absolutely. And can you talk a little bit about what food deserts are and how do we handle them if we currently live in a place where we are in a food desert? Yeah. So a food desert is a term that generally refers to a place where there's not a lot of grocery stores. And a grocery store would be like a supermarket or a place that primarily serves food and serves a wider variety of food. So it would have fruits and vegetables, it would have a freezer section, it would have fresh foods. But there's many areas all over in rural parts of America, in semi-rural parts of America, in cities, where for many reasons, there are no grocery stores. There's a lot of politics, a lot of social factors that go into that, and we could seriously do a whole conversation on that. But what I really want to focus on is what do you do if you live in a food desert? I actually grew up in one from the ages of like 14 to 18. And what my mom did is once a month, she would take my dad to work 
put all five kids in the car and we would drive 45 minutes to an hour to the nearest place that did have grocery stores that were affordable. Because there was one like small market in our area, but the prices were so high. My mom just, it was just not going to work for our family, right? So once a month, we would make that trip. You know, there was an ice chest in the car and she would buy the affordable meats and the affordable frozen produce and everything that she could get once a month so that we could kind of stock up on those things that were affordable at those grocery stores. And then we ate a variety of foods. So there was lots of frozen foods, there was lots of canned foods, and some fresh stuff as well. But really the focus was how do we get the foods that are going to last the month and make her budget was even less than families would get if they were on the SNAP program. Oh, wow. If they receive SNAP benefits. So she was on a really tight budget. And then we gardened in the summer. I remember eating fresh broccoli out of the garden, but that really helped make it more affordable. Absolutely. And so what about gardening? How does that play a role in getting our kids to eat a wider variety of fruits and vegetables? Mm -hmm. Gardening is amazing. Really amazing on a lot of levels. Now, I say this because I know a lot about it, but also I do not garden with my children. So I just want to, I want to like, I know it can be hard. It depends on how good you are at this. And I do want to, but I just haven't gotten to it. Gardening does several things. One, ideally, you garden successfully and it actually produces food for your family. Yes. But the interesting thing about that is when kids grow their own food, they are way more likely to eat it. I mean, (laughs) way more likely to eat it because they grew it from the seed or the plant or whatever, and they saw it grow and they learned where it came from. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I have to try this thing that I just picked off the vine. And also food just picked off the vine has this amazing flavor. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I just have these amazing memories of growing up in my grandpa's garden picking snap peas off the vine and just the taste of that. I, you know, they're, oh, it's amazing. They make memories. It's so good. Right. So that is another reason why it's so helpful. And another thing is if you do receive snap benefits, you can use your benefits to buy seeds. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That is really good to know. Our boys absolutely love being in the garden and will just eat things that they, won't eat in the house. Like they will sit and munch on a raw zucchini. But if I try to put yeah. zucchini noodles on their plate, they have no interest. Right. It's amazing. So interesting to see how that happens for sure. So Jennifer, if you're a family who, you know, it's been COVID, it's been a rough year. We've all exhausted that your kid has now adapted this eating chicken nuggets and French fries and their plate is just a very bland color. And now you mm-hmm. want to start incorporating more foods into their diet How do we start to do that in a way that doesn't cause just major dinner arguments? Yeah, (laughs) right. So I start slow. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, they've had a rough year too. Just like you've had a rough year, they've had a rough year. And even my selective eater, and I help families of picky eaters professionally. This is my job. And even my (laughs) picky eater was like, you changed the color of the beans. You've broken my heart. I'm going to die. I'm only going to eat tortillas for dinner. Like, okay. 
I think coming to it from a position of I'm not going to force my child to eat anything, but I'm going to have the food on the table. I'm just going to start there. I'm just going to start serving it and Mm -hmm. I'm going to start eating it as the adult. That is a good way to ease in because especially if you have a really picky eater and you're putting some on their plate and forcing them to eat it, they're just going to resent that. They're not going to want to eat it. And then you've like wasted the food on their plate. Yeah. So instead having that food on the table and just inviting them, would you like some on your plate? That's a fair question. It's not pressuring them. Mm -hmm. And then they could say, no, thank you. You could teach them, work on those manners. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) But, you know, start small. Don't go in thinking, oh, I'm going to 100% change their diet all at one time Mm -hmm. and expect them to like that. (laughs) And I've seen recommended before, like, Having everything on their plate, like a little bit of dessert, a little bit of the thing that they like and some other things that maybe they haven't tried. And then a frustration that has come up a couple of times with us with our three-year-old is like, okay, so he eats the dessert and he eats the chicken nugget and then everything else doesn't really get touched. And that, A, food waste is a worry, but then it doesn't feel like he's actually eating what he's supposed to be eating. And so how would you handle that? Yeah, so I would stay calm And I would also, again, think back to like, how could I make this into a micro portion meal so that Mm -hmm. I am not wasting food? And there's two ways to do that. One, you don't have to put the food on your child's plate. You can have all the foods on the table and then just offer it. Now, if your child will tolerate it on their plate and you're okay wasting, let's say, like one pea, you're like, okay, I know my child does not like peas, but I want them to learn to like it and I know they'll tolerate it on their plate. So I'll put one pea on their plate. Are you okay with wasting that? If you are, then you can leave it. If you're not okay with wasting that, then just ask them, would you like the pea on your plate? Yeah. And then you can put one pea on their plate and you can model what that looks like to eat that pea. But again, we wanna keep in mind that if we're serving portions that are the size of a pinky nail or portions that are the size of a teaspoon or a tablespoon, depending on our kid and what we know they usually eat, we reduce that food waste when we don't put food on their plate that they don't want. And when we're really on top of, we start with small portions, we can always ask for more. We start with small portions, we can always ask for more. And it gets tricky when kids start to serve themselves. Like I've seen my kids like accidentally serve themselves like a whole bowl of cereal and and I know they won't eat that and that becomes upsetting. And that's when I usually think, you know what? I am not going to serve my cereal yet. I will just eat the rest of theirs because I know that's coming. And there's ways to work around that. But really focusing on those tiny portions and realizing that sometimes kids are only going to eat their preferred foods. And that's okay because we're playing the long game here. Yes, today they ate a cookie. And you know, when I recommend dessert on the plate, I always recommend that it really be a child size portion. So if they were to eat that cookie, it wouldn't be a cookie that's the size of their head. It would be a cookie that didn't actually fill them up if that's all they ate. There might be times when they only ate the cookie, but I would say that's like 0.0001% of the time that Mm -hmm. after kids initially get used to this, that they then only eat the cookie. But as they realize, oh, it's not that big of a deal, the cookie isn't that big of a deal, and also I'm still hungry, then they begin to eat the chicken nugget too. Then they begin to say, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, everybody else is eating peas. Maybe I also want to eat a pea. But it's a long game. Mm -hmm. And how do we deal with asking for more? So let's say you have the couple peas on their plate and you have a piece of fruit. And they've eaten the chicken nugget and now they're asking for more 
chicken nugget. Mm -hmm. Do you give them more or do you ask them to eat what's on their plate first? So there's a couple different philosophies here. Because I work so much with families who have picky eaters and extreme picky eaters, my recommendation, and this is what I do in my own family, is I do not force my kids to eat any amount of certain foods. Now, there's some families who have successfully created a culture of we try everything on our plate. And for some families that works. But if your family is having battles around you have to try everything on your plate, then I'm telling you that it's not working for your family (laughs) and you need to find a new method to make Mm -hmm. it work. So my philosophy is really the less pressure a child feels, the more they learn to like a variety of foods over time and the more they become competent eaters on their own, especially when they're young and I was putting the food on their plate. Now that they're older, they choose what goes on their plate. I mean, they're five and seven now, but when they were one and three, I was not asking what they wanted on their plate. I was just putting a couple little things on their plate. So at that time, if they just wanted more chicken nuggets, I would let them eat as many chicken nuggets as they wanted. And the interesting thing that I found, even with my very selective eater and knowing what I know about all the warning signs of picky eaters, my son has so many of the warning signs of being an extremely picky eater, but he's actually a pretty competent eater because we've really been living these principles out his whole life. But the interesting thing about him is I've noticed he will often be into one part of a meal, but the part that he's into varies over the course of the weeks. So we have a a taco salad meal and some nights he will just eat the taco filling. So the beans and the meat. Other nights, he will just eat the tortillas. Other nights, he will just eat the vegetables. The more that we create an even playing field for the kids and we stop focusing on one meal and we start saying, okay, what did they eat over the course of the week? We give ourselves the space and decreased anxiety to be able to give our kids the freedom to eat what they need at any given meal. That makes so much sense. And I'd love to hear more about what to do specifically when you have picky eaters or extreme picky eaters. But before we do, let's take a quick moment to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. When you're having a new baby, there's so much joy and excitement. You can almost feel those little baby cuddles and can't help cooing over every adorable outfit you see. Yet there are so many new and slightly scary things to consider especially when it comes to money. What things do we need to buy and what can we skip? How much will the delivery cost? How do we think about childcare? Oh my gosh, where will all this extra money come from? And do I need life insurance? And what am I gonna do about work? It's enough to make you wanna curl up in a ball and hope all these questions just magically go away. But I don't want you to hide. What if instead I could hold your hand through all these questions and help you make the best financial decisions for your growing family? We've created the New Mama Money Plan to be that guide, to turn what feels like a mystery into an action plan that you can carry out with confidence. For just $27, the New Mama Money Plan helps you handle everything from reviewing your budget to creating the right estate plan. Instead of trying to fumble through it all on your own, let us lend a hand so you can get back to loving on your little one. Head to newmamamoneyplan.com to grab your planner today or purchase one as a special present for a friend. Congratulations, Mama. You're going to be an amazing parent. 
So we've talked about some of the standard practices that help avoid mealtime battles, but what about when we're dealing with extremely picky eaters? When we're thinking about extreme picky eaters, kids who really are on the path to have some issues, those kids never try a new food on their own. And it usually takes way more than, say, 10 to 20 exposures to a food for them to actually learn to like it. So, for example, my son took about 100 exposures to avocado before he took a bite and swallowed it. That's a lot. That's actually yeah. not that common. He took three and a half years of exposures to tomatoes before he took a tomato and liked it. And then he said, oh, I love these, <laughs> which was funny because I was like, that's interesting because for the past three and a half years, you've uh, either not touched them or not put them in your mouth or uh, spit it out. Mm -hmm. Those are warning signs. Also, like disinterest in certain textures. They don't want to touch certain textures. If it's a mixed texture, it really freaks them out. Any signs that they're really afraid of new foods or foods that they haven't seen regularly also, another sign is kids who are constantly dropping foods off their list. So they went from maybe a baby who ate everything, and, and maybe that was like 100 different foods they ate, and now all of a sudden they're down to 10 foods or five foods, and they're never picking those foods back up. They just knock it off their list, and it never comes back. Those are big warning signs. Also, if they're having any sort of growth issue, if they can't chew or swallow, there's some of those feeding problems as well. Or if you have a baby who really, really, really struggled with eating foods as an infant. That can be another sign. Picky eating can really show up as early as that transition to solid. So as early as six months, but a really common time is 12 to 18 months, 12 to 24 months, of course, all the way up to like age six. But that toddler period is often where you see that emergence. A lot of the families in my Better Bites program talk about how they had babies who they thought were perfect eaters. And then when they become toddlers, they just lose all their foods. And now they're stuck with a, a really, really selective diet of five to 10 foods, and they just don't know what to do. So those are some of the signs. Okay. And so in that case, it sounds like it's just a lot about exposure and patience, right? At that point? Yeah. When you have an extreme picky eater, exposure isn't enough. Now, if you have a typical picky eater, exposure can be really helpful. But if you have that extreme picky eater, exposure will never be enough to get them eating new foods. You actually need advanced techniques. And those are some of the things like I cover in my Better Bites program okay. because you need to have a really strong foundation in best practices in order to help your child be in a place where they can learn to like new foods. So that's a more difficult path. There's no like quick tips for picking, oh, for fixing yeah. extreme picky eating. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious. So to go back for a second to, you know, you put everything on their plate, they eat the thing they like, they tell you they're full, they walk away and they come back 20 minutes later and they want a snack. Yeah. No. What do we do? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. As parents, we have a tough job. <laughs> we have a really tough job, right? One of our main jobs as parents is to provide a healthy environment for our kids. Mm -hmm. That's like, we're in charge of keeping them alive. We're in charge of helping them learn all these skills, feeding them. There's all sorts of things that go into what a healthy environment might look like. But we're also in charge. We're the people steering this ship. And we should never give that job to the children. Not to say we never, I am 
by far not the most perfect parent on the planet. And there have been times where I've given my kids like reign of the ship. And then I'm like, wow, that was a bad idea, right? Because it always goes wrong. Yeah. So when we're feeding kids, we want to remember we're in charge of the feeding ship. So we're in charge of what foods are served, when they're served, and where they're served, and the environment around that. The kids are in charge of their own body. How much am I going to eat and whether I'm going to eat? That's their job. But my job is to decide when it's eating time. It is not, let me tell you, like 99% of toddlers, when they choose when to eat, it's a snack every hour, all day long. You're losing money to highly processed snacks like crackers because that's all they want and goldfish. It becomes very expensive to feed a toddler like that because they just want the easy to eat processed foods and they're snacking all day. That's associated with dental cavities. It's associated with poor nutrition. It's associated with kids not eating the right amount for their body, either more or less. It's just, and it means you're being asked for a snack every hour, which is just so annoying. (laughs) It just takes a lot of effort from you. Yeah. So instead, when you have a very firm and loving routine to when you eat, you start to change the game. And what that usually looks like with a small child is usually breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then usually two to three snacks a day, I would say for most American children. So a mid-morning snack, a mid-afternoon snack, and then potentially a bedtime snack or depending on your schedule, potentially another afternoon snack. And you can kind of work that out. You've served a meal. You've served a meal that has a food that they're comfortable with, you know, whatever that looks like. And they're like, I'm not eating it that's their right. That's their job to decide whether they're going to eat it or not. And then they come back to you in 10 minutes. They're like, oh, but I'd really like some goldfish also, mom. And it's your job at that point to say, we're going to have snack after nap time and let's do something else in the meantime. And you're really loving Mm -hmm. and they might have a tantrum and you can validate that. Oh, you are so upset. You can't have goldfish right now. I get it. Believe me, you will feel that wrath. And that's okay for them to be upset about it because that's upsetting when you're not allowed to have goldfish when you want them. It's okay. They can have their feelings. There's nothing wrong with them being upset. But it's your job in that moment to remember, I can be with my kid. I can be patient. (laughs) I can try to be patient with my child. But also, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to go get the goldfish. I'm going to stand firm. And after nap, we are going to have our normal snack, just like we always do. I may choose to include some goldfish or I may choose to say, you know, that's not on the menu today. We're going to have some tomorrow. This is an important skill because especially when we're on a budget, we may not have a lot of certain foods and we don't want our toddler running the show and deciding when all the crackers are going to be eaten. You may have a plan for those crackers. They may need to last for a whole month. And it's really important for your toddler to know that sometimes those crackers are not going to be available and sometimes they are. And you can tell your toddler, oh, that's all the crackers for this week. We're going to have more next week. And there's no shame in that. There is nothing to feel bad about. That is a best practice in child feeding to set limits on what is available and what is not. Now, if you're a family who always has crackers in the house and you have them every day, then that's fine too. And you could say, okay, we've had our crackers now. We're going to have more crackers tomorrow. 
that helps you with your budget. It helps you with your planning and it gives you your power back as a parent. Mm -hmm. And it also helps your child realize, oh, I'm not calling the shots for dinner. And because of that, I'm going to have to look at what my mom made or my dad made. And I'm going to have to say, huh, like, what do I want to eat from what's available? Because I'm not going to get anything else. Okay, this is fascinating. It's brought up two questions from my own life with my toddlers that I now I got to ask. And so the first is, I have a, my three-year-old. He eats beautifully all day. We'll eat anything. <laughs> Something about dinner time is just like, I'm not doing it. Like, I just, yeah. he sits down for 30 seconds and he wants up. What he does is right around the time to put him in bed. So our routine is dinner, bath, bed, like mm -hmm. right after each other. So we're only like half an hour later. He'll start asking for a snack. Can mm -hmm. I have something to eat? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. We have tried to hold the line of either you have dinner. You can go back and eat what's left of your dinner. We'll brush your teeth again or you go to bed. He will just go to bed and then wake up at four o'clock in the morning crying that he's hungry. Okay. And then we're all tired all yes. day. And so we've yes. tried consistently for seven to 10 days of this and he doesn't give up. <laughs> and He doesn't eat dinner. Okay. So this is, let's do a little like detective work. How many nights is he waking up? Oh, like almost every night. Like per week. If he doesn't eat. Like almost every night. He will wake up at four o'clock hungry. Okay. So this is a great, great time to implement a bedtime snack because usually what happens is families say, oh, if he doesn't eat, he won't wake up. But if you press him on it and you say, okay, how much are they waking up? They'll be like, well, they never actually woken up, but I'm afraid they'll wake up because most kids, if they don't eat dinner, will actually sleep just fine. Because they're tired at the end of the day. They don't have the energy to eat. It's usually the worst meal of the day for any toddler. And so this is not uncommon. But usually the kids don't wake up consistently at night. When a child is waking up consistently at night, because I have one of those too, we implemented a bedtime snack right before bed that is just a high-calorie, simple snack. So what does that look like? I make this high-calorie banana smoothie thing. And it's bananas, milk, and peanut butter. This is because my child has had trouble like with weight issues and weight gain and all that stuff. So instead of Pediasure, which is like mind-blowingly expensive and also way unnecessary for, for most kids, you can do a simple thing like this. And so we implemented it right after dinner, which seems like a really weird time, but it's almost like a dessert but it's one of the formal eating opportunities in our house. Now, if he chose not to eat dinner, we still have the smoothie. If he chose to eat dinner, we still have the smoothie. Those things are not, they're not like, if you don't eat this, you get this. It's just in our family, mm. this is how we do food. And we always have this bedtime snack. So if you have a child who's consistently waking up at night and they're not able to like, I don't know, they're not able to eat more dinner for some reason, then you might want to consider a bedtime snack. Don't make it exciting. Don't make it like cookies and milk because then kids stop eating dinner just to fill up on bedtime snack. Make it simple food like an apple and peanut butter, something very food-based, but something high calorie. The other thing you can do if you want to try something before implementing the bedtime snack is focusing on a really high calorie dinner. So whatever you make, adding oil, adding butter, adding, if they only ate three bites of rice, did it also contain a tablespoon of butter? Yeah. <laughs> or a tablespoon of oil or something. So it's a really high, like every bite counts. You can try that as well. But otherwise, if you do have a kid regularly waking up at night, that is a great indication that a bedtime snack 
is maybe the way to go. Yeah. We've had some luck with like plain Greek yogurt. Yeah. We have like reusable pouches. We'll put some plain Greek yogurt or weirdly, sometimes it's not even the calorie. It's like, I feel like he just needs to eat. And so like he gets Uh, like a bowl of snap peas while we read stories and he'll eat those and then he'll go to sleep. No problem. Yeah. So if you found something like that, those are two great examples of things that are, they're not exciting, but they do, they're filling an actual need then that is just a great thing. But I, I always recommend if you do bedtime snack, it's either always or never because you don't want this to become a bargaining chip in your life. <laughs> I'd rather just have yogurt later. So I'm yeah. not going to eat so my you can dinner. be like, hey, exactly. we always have the option of yogurt after dinner. And that's just what we do in our family. Perfect. And then they know it's there or yogurt or veggies or, you know, whatever it is. And so then my other question was about set eating times. And so... Something we found over the last year that has worked in our house, and, and maybe this isn't healthy and we should stop, but we cut up in the morning apples, bell peppers, cucumbers, blocks of cheese or whatever. We put it on a platter. We put it on the table and they can eat when they're hungry and otherwise. And then we're not getting them snacks multiple times a day, but they have access to food whenever they want. For both of our kids, more the three-year-old than the five-year-old, but that means they'll eat every 45 minutes all day. Yeah. And so what is the impact of that? Because you're creating like what I would call like whole food, as in you're taking food and you're cutting up and putting it on the table. They're getting nutrition and that's great. The teeth issue is where, and those foods are not, as long as it doesn't include crackers, if it's just like fruits and vegetables and cheese, that's not that hard on teeth. But I would say you're very much in the exception of people who are like only putting those foods on the platter. Usually what goes on the platter is crackers and fruit and things like that and not veggies and cheese and fruit. Usually grazing, which is what you're describing, is associated with kids who have a lot more cavities because their mouths don't have the ability to coat with saliva and remineralize between eating opportunities. Now, if you're just feeding them vegetables and cheese, those are actually foods that are good for their mouth. So I think that would mitigate that risk. But that's generally not my recommendation because that's generally not what toddlers would snack on all morning. And if you aren't really dealing with picky eating, then you kind of have that ability. But if you are dealing with picky eating, what happens is kids will eat what they want like every 45 minutes and then they won't be hungry for the meal that has like the real food. They will have eaten goldfish crackers or a little yogurt squirter thing here and a little this here. And next thing you know, you get to the mealtime and they're not hungry because they've been snacking all day. Now, I have talked a little bit about what I call like snack windows, where you put the snack out for a certain amount of time. And then what like exactly what you're describing, we put it out for morning snack and then they can eat whenever they're ready. And then we would put it away in time for them to get hungry for lunch. So that's another way to handle it if your kids aren't just eating veggies and cheese and they're eating like, you know, some grains and some things that would be harder on their teeth. So you would have a breakfast or maybe that's part of breakfast, but then you put it away for some time for them to focus on other things. And then you bring it out for morning snack. And maybe that's an hour, whatever you decide is your window. Then you put it back and then you kind of like introduce this idea of there's times when we eat and then there's times when we play and then there's times when we eat. And it also makes it more formal. So I'm going to sit down, I'm going to eat my food, and then I'm going to get up and I'm going to go play. And the sitting down is kind of key for safety and then also for them learning 
a lot more about how to eat. How do I choose what foods I want on my plate? How do I learn to serve myself? How do I interact with somebody else sitting at the table? There's a lot of social skills that kind of go around with having a formal eating opportunity. Absolutely. And so on the flip side, we've talked a lot about picky eating and about not eating enough. What about when we start to think about weight and portion control with kids? Obviously, we don't want to get into diet culture with young children, but Mm -mm. we hear sometimes from our community and with our kids, like with my kids, they'll sit down and eat an entire container of strawberries or an entire thing of blueberries. Yeah. People saying like, okay, is that healthy? Is that okay? What do we do when our kids will like just house some foods? Right. (laughs) And they will. Especially if you buy something like fancy, like fresh strawberries, like yeah. they're literally gone before you ever get a chance <laughs> exactly. to eat one yourself, which is probably why my mom ne- almost never bought them. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. We've been highly influenced by diet culture. We have these ideas of portion control. There's many, many pediatricians out there who say you need to put your child on a diet, which is so horrible please never put your child on a diet. It's just so damaging. A lot of pediatricians are steeped in diet culture and weight stigma. And they have not been trained. It's just not part of their training how to give nutrition advice to a family if they happen to see that a child is on the larger side. The other thing is kids do come in all shapes and sizes. And there's a lot of factors that go into determining whether weight is a health risk or not. You may have a child who's incredibly muscular, and they're always on the too high BMI. I actually closely know a child like that. They don't have any health risks because they're at a high weight because they have more muscle than most kids, but they will always be flagged as overweight. So there's a lot of these. So we always have to remember that if a pediatrician is talking about weight in front of a child, it needs to be stopped. It's a good time to step in and say, I can set up an appointment to talk to you about that on the phone by myself. We're not going to continue that conversation now. Or you bring a card in as you go in that says, I don't want to discuss weight in front of my child, but I can discuss like growth charts or getting a referral. You can ask for a referral to a dietitian. But here's the thing that I just want to make this point that it is not our job as parents to control the size of our child's body. The only exception to that is if your child has a disorder so that they're unable to eat and they have to be put on a feeding tube or a nasogastric tube or something like that, that is a different scenario. But for most of us, it is not our job to control the size of our child's body. It is our job to control the environment that we're providing. Now, if a pediatrician does say, hey, look at this growth chart. I've noticed that your child's weight has made a significant change and we wouldn't expect that. Don't get mad at your pediatrician. They're showing you the facts. That's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's a good time to ask yourself what might be going on in your home. Do you have enough food to get you to the end of the month? Is now a good time to seek out additional food resources to make sure that your family is more food secure? Now, I realize it makes it sound easy when I say that. It's not easy. Not easy at all. But is there a resource that I could use to potentially help make my food last longer? Am I relying heavily on TV during this time of the pandemic to get our family through this time? Well, yeah, your kid's weight might go up as a result of that. And that is something that many families are struggling with. And sometimes we have to say, okay, times are tough now. And everybody's kind of having an impact. And when times become more manageable, we will introduce more physical activity into our family and we'll make some more changes 
as we can. So there's a lot of things, but we never try to control our child. Now, there may be times where you have to say, these granola bars need to last us the whole month. So here's how many everybody gets. And you can eat them whenever you want, of course, Mm -hmm. across the month, or maybe I dole them out per week, whatever it is. Those things are okay. That's based on availability in your house. That is fair. You want to make sure everybody in the family gets a fair shot. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But then we also want to think, if I do have enough food, then I should be able to let my child eat as much as they want. If they want to eat a whole plate of rice, and I have enough rice to make that happen, everybody gets their fair share, then that is my child learning to feed their own body. And that is okay. It is okay to let our kids eat all the strawberries if (laughs) we have enough and everybody's gotten their fair share. Fantastic. All right, Jennifer, before we move into our last hot seat question, I do want to ask, is it ever too late? I think sometimes people are like, my kids already eight, nine, they've built these habits and they're just always going to be picky eaters. Is it ever too late? It's too late if you decide it's too late, but no. Mm. In my Better Bites program, it's designed for kids ages zero to 10. And the program itself is for the families of very picky eaters. And we have 10-year-olds who have great success. We have 11, 12-year-olds even who have success. The parents of kids in that program often start to eat new foods that they didn't think was possible. I believe that it is never too late. Now, the teenage years, is that a good time to try to like fix your kid's eating problem and eat more foods? I mean, unless your kid really wants it, that is probably a bad time to try to do that. But as kids get older, often if they want it, there are resources out there that can help them learn to like new foods. Our taste buds are always changing. Is it harder as we get older? Yes. But is it too late if you have a seven-year-old? Absolutely not. It is not too late. Fantastic. All right, Jennifer, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? I'm ready. What was the best thing you bought in the last year? Oh my gosh, I know this. Okay, one of my followers, I saw her story and she had this like, this swing in the doorway. It was like one of those pull-up bars that you hang in the doorway and then it had a swing on it. And I thought, I have to have that. <laughs> it was expensive. And usually we, I always talk to my husband before we make big purchases. That's our agreement. But I just bought it. And then later I was like, so honey, I bought this thing. And my kids have used it every day. It has turned around their moods. It is like, oh my gosh, I have never been so glad to make an impulse purchase. <laughs> That's fantastic. I feel like it like saved my life this year. Oh, that is a good one. That is so interesting. I'll have yeah. to look that up. All right, Jennifer, <laughs> where can people find you, find your resources and courses and learn more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So Kids in Color, we have a meal plan for families on a tight budget. It's called Affordable Foods. It's diverse family meals for under $500 a month for a family of four. And that is available at kidseatincolor.com, where, of course, everything else is available. (laughs) If you need more help with picky eating, if you need free help with picky eating, there's the blog. And, of course, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, wherever you are, we try to be there. Would love to see you. And if you are struggling with picky eating and really need help, Getting over the hump, we have a free picky eater guide that is 14 pages full of really helpful information that kind of summarizes what I talked about here. 
Fantastic. We will link that in the show notes. And mamas, absolutely check out the affordable foods. That's three meals a day and two snacks, right, are included. And it's $500 a month. That's fantastic. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Mamas, do you feel a little more relaxed about feeding your littles after listening to Jennifer? I know I did. I'm actually recording this part of the episode a few weeks after talking to Jennifer, and we instituted a bedtime snack with George, actually exactly what Jennifer recommended, a high-calorie banana peanut butter smoothie, and he is sleeping, oh my gosh, so much better. From 5 a.m. wake-ups to now 6.30 or 7, it's incredible. Such a little change, but it made a huge difference to Jeremiah and my mealtime stress and for George's sleep. So you can make strides in your own mealtime. I've rounded up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Jennifer. Let's dive in. One, take the pressure off you and your kids at mealtime. Eating is a learning process for kids. And I loved when Jennifer said, it's your job to put food in front of your kids and control the environment in which they eat. It is their job to decide what goes in their body. It's important to building their own relationship with food, to dealing with consent and feeling like they have some control over their own bodies. But naturally, when we pressure kids, they're gonna push back or they're just gonna eat to make you happy and feel like they don't have that control over what goes in their own systems. Instead, try reducing the portion sizes and help kids ask for more if they're still hungry. If they don't eat, gently remind them when the next snack or meal will be and let them know to listen to their bodies and eat if they're hungry. Also, it's super, super normal for kids to eat a lot in one day and not much in another. This was something I was really grateful our first pediatrician in Boston told us right early on when we had Henry was that kids eating needs fluctuate. And so don't put your expectations of how much you think your kids should eat on them. Let them decide what's going to go in their bodies. Two, there's more than one way to feed your family healthy food. As much as we all see all the advertisements over organic and natural and perfect foods and the right way to cook and baking from scratch, we see all these things and maybe we want to be those parents, but we can't always do that. We don't have the time. We don't have the money. So Jennifer's reminder that that is not the only way to feed your family healthy, well-rounded meals. Organic is not the only non-dangerous way of feeding your family. Make sure you get enough food to last the entire month, buy the more affordable option, and plan meals around what's on sale. If you need additional help, use WIC or reach out to food banks in your area, but just focus on protein, then fruits and vegetables. All forms of food have a purpose and you can create a well-rounded meal that'll keep your kids healthy and growing and happy on any budget. And finally, the third takeaway, offer kids freedom in their choices, but with boundaries. We have that classic scenario where kids say they won't eat dinner, but then they want a snack or like George, not eating dinner and then at bedtime complaining that he was hungry. Instead of letting in or just demanding that they eat dinner at dinner time, stay calm and let them know when that next food will be available, empathize with them, distract them, and maybe even at that mealtime, if they haven't eaten a lot, just remind them, hey, it's totally okay that you're not hungry right now, but remember that our next snack is going to be at three o'clock or our next snack is going to be our bedtime snack. Let them know when their next opportunity to eat will be. It's going to require having a firm and loving routine 
And there are going to be times when they're frustrated in that moment, but they will start realizing what that schedule is and how to listen to their bodies so that they eat when they're hungry. Reminder, just like in point one, we're in charge of what foods are served, when they're served, and where they're served. The kids are in charge of their own body, how much they're going to eat, and whether they're going to eat. That's their job. It's not our job. So set limits, limit portions if there's special foods that you want to make sure to last the whole month. But your kids can have some freedom in choice. They can control what they eat. And even if right now they're only eating the tortilla, at some point they will start to experiment with other foods on the plate. We do not have to force them to do this. Mamas, you've got this. I want to thank Jennifer again for coming on the show and sharing so much incredible advice about feeding our families and raising well-rounded, healthy eaters. You can find links to Kids Eat in Color, Jennifer's 30-day budget meal plan, and our free meal planning templates in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 108. Thanks for hanging out with me today. If you learned anything, help us spread the word about the podcast and tell a friend. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.